From the west side of Charlotte, North Carolina, this is Here for Good, a collection of stories and conversations with the kinfolk of QC Family Tree. Listen in as we seek to awaken the popular imagination to new possibilities of abundance and spark social action for the common good. I'm one of the kinfolk. My name is Helms Gerald. Throughout Advent, we've been looking at how can we prepare for the Christ child to come in the soil, in the water, with our bodies. And now we're going to look at how can we prepare for the Christ child to come into the neighborhood. What better way to think about that than to imagine a neighborhood? Who are the people? What are their lives like? Since this last week of Advent only really lasts two days, and then it's Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, this story kind of bleeds into the celebration of Christmas and the birth of the Christ child. Part 1 of the story, The News from Polkton, by Greg Gerald. Now this is how it all went down. Billie Jean was the talk of the town. She had gone all her life without a child. She taught school in Anson County out near Wadesboro and Peachland, been like a mama to many. Her husband, the Reverend Zeke, was the preacher at one of the AME Zion churches out there in the countryside. He preached real good, but he'd stopped believing in most of what he was saying a long time back. He figured that if all that stuff was true, it would have done happened by now. But everybody's got a hustle, and his hustle was preaching. He was considering that faith stuff again now, because there was no explanation for his old lady being knocked up. After 40-some years of marriage, she shows up pregnant now? Well, there can't be but two explanations for that. And Zeke figured if she was going to wander, she would have done it by now. The whole thing was moving along all right. She was doing well for one that wasn't exactly wet behind the ears anymore. But she was getting a little feeble now as she headed toward the finish line. So Myra's visit worked out to be right on time. Myra had moved to Charlotte a couple years back. There were rumors about some aspects of her decision making, but she was a good young lady. Life had been a little bit rough on her. She didn't live in the best place in town. They called her neighborhood Greer Town, or sometimes just The Hood, but she was making it. She was learning to be a hairdresser and was saving up money to go to cosmetology school. But then she wound up having to leave town. There was some trouble, and she needed a little perspective, a chance to breathe. So her mama arranged for her to come and help Billie Jean out for a while. They were cousins, and Billie Jean and Myra both figured a little help from the family would be the right thing. Here's how it got this way. Not long after she moved to Charlotte, Myra ran into a high school friend she had known from Polkton. His name was Josh. He took her to Bojangles that day, which is the recipe for any successful relationship. Sure enough, they started seeing each other on a regular basis. One day, though, some strange things started occurring. Myra was feeling funny, which she first attributed to her Bojangles habit with Josh, but then other stuff started changing. She knew what the signs pointed to, but the thing was, she and Josh had not been doing it. After one especially awkward meal, she went home and fell asleep. During her nap, she had a dream. 
There was a messenger knocking on her door, and when she answered it, he told her what was going on. There was no way this could be true. It was just some bad chicken or something. But as the haze of her nap cleared, she felt her conviction growing. At first, she was panicked. How would she tell her mama? What would she say to Josh? But soon after the panic, her resolve began to set in. This was her chance. She could raise this child. She would do whatever it took. She kept a journal at times, so she jotted down some thoughts real quick. My, oh my, I am overwhelmed with joy. I have wondered where God has been during some of these times, but now think of this amazing thing that is happening. My friends and family will be astounded too. This God life is mighty strange. All kinds of upside down things happen. And now here it is happening to me, a poor girl in the wrong hood. Glory be. And then she called home to tell. Come home right now, her mama said. She could not bear the thought of her baby being alone in the big city going through this. So they set up the visit with Billie Jean. It all went perfectly. But after she had disappeared for a while, she had to go back. There was the matter of talking to Josh, and this was going to be a hard one to explain. They met up, as usual, at the Bojangles. Boy, it was awkward. She knew that he knew something, but they both made small talk around it until they could not stand it any more. Listen, he said, I had this dream the other day, and so, well, so you know, she asked. Yeah, I know. Listen, this is going to be weird. I mean, the baby's not really mine, and I'm not sure if I believe all this otherworldly stuff anyway, but look, I'm in this with you, thick or thin. We're doing this thing together. I've just got a feeling that I have to do this. Josh took care of her, brought her food, rubbed her feet, went with her to her appointments over at Presbyterian, and then, as they were closing in on the time, the announcement came. Myra was losing her place and her job because she had missed too many days and also too many paychecks and also too many rent payments. She was going back to Polkton. Josh did not hesitate. He would go as well. They packed up what they could into a friend's apartment to store. Josh had gas money, but unfortunately the only car he could afford was a scooter, one of those Vespa-like things. You can fit two on those in a pinch. You don't just put a pregnant woman on a Vespa, and those little engines are definitely not built for two. By the time they stopped on Albemarle Road for a ham biscuit for breakfast, they had been putting along in traffic for nearly an hour. Myra was not thrilled about this arrangement, nor was Josh for that matter, but he took great pride in being careful with his beloved and of doing this himself. They puttered on. Albemarle Road was tricky, but NC-218 was worse. Traffic on the rural two-lane highway moved fast. The available bathrooms were far too spread out to suit a woman near to giving birth. No one was nearly as patient with Josh as Josh was with Myra. The cornfields seemed as though they would never end. They were wiped out by the time they hit Polkton, that wide spot in the road just before Wadesboro. Not much there nowadays except two state prisons and a couple gas stations. The train still runs through, but the depot was shuttered many years ago. As they say about some rundown places, there is no there, there. But things being as they are, it was hard to find a place to lay. After all the care from the family earlier on, life had gotten crazy lately. Hard times had come, and everyone had crowded in together, 
when people started losing their houses. There was just nowhere to go. Somebody's cousin and uncle was tucked in every corner. Finally, somebody had an idea. Uncle Charlie just put a bathroom in his garage, Josh. There's a wood stove out there, and we've got one cot and a couple blankets. That's about the best we can do right now. Myra was too tired to care, so Charlie's garage it was. They got the wood stove to roar and made themselves comfortable. It would be happening any day now. When it finally did happen, it was pretty normal. The doctors and nurses were nice enough. There were no complications, and they returned to Uncle Charlie's garage. Word had spread quickly about this situation. Charlie's buddies were real interested. They all rode up on their motorcycles, hardly able to believe the story they had heard. They remembered little Myra, and now here she was, raising the baby in the garage. It was all a little sad, but at the same time, quaint and beautiful. Soon enough, they figured out how to make things work in the house. The baby need not stay out there for too long. Josh was beside himself with joy, and besides that, Uncle Charlie thought maybe he'd give him a job. Myra did not say much those days, but she quietly pondered everything that was happening in her heart. She remembered the kindnesses, the tough things she had overcome. She graciously welcomed the visitors coming to see that Myra and Josh had come home. And when she looked down at this little gift wrapped and held close in her arms, she smiled. What Happened in Poulton, Part 2, by Helms Gerald. Twitter and Instagram lit up with images of a young man and a pregnant lady riding on a scooter down Independence Boulevard. Everyone was curious about the two. Where were they going? What were they doing? News spread fast. Even Jimmy Fallon had mentioned it in his monologue, and in the morning, Hoda and Kathy Lee couldn't stop squawking about it. The media caught wind of the hype and sent a few reporters out to find the scoop. Two young urban kids, really, riding down one of the busiest thoroughfares in town, capturing everyone's attention and making themselves the subject of everyone's gossip. The reporters thought this was an obvious marketing trick at first. Some radio show challenge that involved someone doing something silly to earn their chance at a new motorcycle, maybe? They went to the radio station and asked around. Nobody would fess up. Maybe it was a bigger business trying to make money or divert attention away from a scandal. So they went to the corporate offices to find out who would take the credit for such a brilliant feat. Who was it that was so brilliant to stage the dramatic production of the year, one that swept the nation with tweets, updates, pictures, and videos? No one knew a thing. Banks. Maybe it was the banks. They run everything around here. Maybe they are strategically planning some sort of credit loans for new young families and they wanted their audience ears to be perked. The reporters headed uptown and up to the top. They caught the bank president in the elevator and quickly told him the whole story. So, we want to applaud you for your brilliant strategy and we want to write up an article in the paper to help perk even more interest. Only the smartest, most strategic, most forward-thinking business person in Charlotte could come up with such a great tactic. We are amazed at the work and detail that must have been put into such display. The brains behind this feat are going to do some amazing things for banking and for our city. The bank president was interested. It wasn't his idea. 
He didn't come up with it, but it was a great plan. He didn't let on to the reporters that he was just as stumped as they were. Instead, he let them think they'd figured it out. (laughs) No one can get anything past you guys, you know. I bet you'd really get a great story and some spectacular pictures that make headlines if you went to find this couple you've been tracking. All you have to do is follow the Instagram photo trail and see where it leads. I bet our investigation department would even lend you a hand. If you've got a picture of them at a store on Independence, our investigators can run the numbers and track down their credit card purchase. We could get their names and family addresses for you. The reporters thought the bank president was just being coy. Oh gosh, sir, that'd be great. They were last seen stopping for gas on Albemarle Road. The bank president called his assistant and gave instructions. Direct these three to the investigation department. Get a contact name and address for this couple and send the reporters on their way. You guys are going to be making it to the top in no time. I'll call over to the Observer this afternoon and tell the editor myself about how smart you are. Listen, if you find anything out, give me a holler. I'd be happy to put in my two cents for your article. When the reporters got to Polkton, they felt a little silly that they'd done all that fact-finding work to search for them. If they'd just paid closer attention, they would have easily recognized the Roots tour van parked at the town line and the stagehands setting up the set from the crossroads in Polkton. When they rolled down their windows, they could hear a loud recording of the Roots from The Tonight Show playing Baby Baby from big speakers on the front steps of the post office. It didn't take them long to spot the scooters sitting out back at the garage. There was a big blue balloon on the handlebars. Myra and Josh had convinced Charlie to move some things around, so by the time the reporters tracked them down, they found Mom, Dad, and baby Emmanuel in the little garage apartment up top. Josh answered the door. Sir, are you the man who rode a pregnant lady down Independence Boulevard? Well, how are y'all doing today? It's real good to have you here. Won't you come in? He led them into the back room, opened the door, and said, I think this is what you've come to see. They peered in and took a deep breath. A beautiful baby boy laying in a simple cradle, resting next to his loving mama. Aww, they said in unison. From there, the normal new parents, new baby, new visitors conversation took place. When was he born? How much did he weigh? How long was he? Myra showed them the little ink print of his foot. They passed it from person to person and talked about how small he was, how precious his little toes and fingers were. You decided to have him right here? In Polkton? Why? Aren't you from Charlotte? Josh and Myra told the story of how they met, how they found out they were pregnant, the message she received and the dream he had, their eviction from their apartment, and their journey on the scooter. The reporters were shocked. This was no buzz topic, no market strategy, no publicity ploy. This was just a simple little family trying to do everything they could to make it and to do right by their baby. Before they left town, the reporters huddled together and talked about what to do. They called the editor. Sorry, we've come to a dead end. Jimmy Fallon is just shooting a sketch. That's it. They came back from their van with their hands full. Here. We've collected all the change we've got. There's at least $150 there and a couple gift cards we had from birthday gifts. And and take this. 
The newspaper's first aid kit is full of everything you could ever need. Aspirin, bandages, hand sanitizer, and I threw in essential oil that I use when I'm anxious. It calms me down and helps me to think more clearly. It's also perfect for headaches or muscle cramps. And I want you to have this. It's my mother's pendant. Inside the little container is water from the hot springs on my family's land. The three reporters hugged Myra and Josh and gave Emmanuel one last kiss before leaving. On their way out of town, they stopped by the Tonight Show van. They winked at each other as they told them how smart they were for coming up with this whole thing. Gosh, guys, you had us convinced. We were following the story and digging all around to get the scoop. But you showed us. You made the whole thing up just for laughs. Man, guys, your writers are genius. The Tonight Show crew laughed with them and packed up after a final sketch from Independence Boulevard. The bank president got a polite letter from the editor apologizing for any inconvenience his reporters may have caused. His staff had investigated and found out it was all a tall tale. The whole thing had made the bank president a little nervous. What if this couple was really up to something? What if they were in cahoots with Wells Fargo? Maybe there really was someone out there who was the smartest, most strategic, most forward-thinking business person around, and maybe it wasn't himself. Maybe it could be that someone really did come up with this great tactic. All of those details couldn't have been coincidence. Whoever the brains are behind this feat, they are going to do some major things for their banking career, and I can't have that. I must kill the competition. I must not let anyone outdo me. The bank president sent word down to the investigation department. He wanted full documentation of the information they'd given the reporters. Within minutes, he had a thick file. Social security numbers, copies of photo ID, bank transactions. When he saw their bank balances, he just knew he was being tricked. He called in his top investigator. By the end of the day, all they could come up with was a Googled baby announcement printed in the Anson record and a recent purchase at Food Lion for diapers and baby soap. The bank president wouldn't let it alone. If he couldn't catch his opponent first-handed, he'd snuff him out. He made a few phone calls. Next thing you know, all the bankers are in town are scared. They've heard of some mystery person or some mystery gang of people trying to take their jobs, trying to get what they want. Word travels and folks all around get struck with fear. They start plotting. Convinced they must take things into their own hands, must make sure they stay financially comfortable. All of a sudden, newsflash, schools in Josh's grandma's neighborhood are being shut down. Morning News reports a shortage of healthy and whole food stores in Myra's old neighborhood. Midday News, angry teenagers at the local high school get into a fight which results in tasing and uproar. Headline, Greertown and the surrounding neighborhoods have had an increase in police surveillance and patrolling. Primetime report, there is an increase in incarceration rates among low-income and African-American populations in Charlotte. Myra and Josh heard the news about the middle schools being shut down and didn't think anything about it. They'd need to shut down those buildings for years. Josh's friend, Alan, texted Josh with pictures from the fight at school. It was scary. The police were taking down fist-fighting boys with what looked like weapons of combat. In one of the pictures, Josh noticed something. All the guys that were lined up on the wall and handcuffed were guys that Josh knew from the neighborhood. That night, 
Josh tossed and turned in his sleep. The next morning, he told Myra his plan. We've got to get out of here. They packed up their things in one little duffel bag, traded Charlie the money and scooter for his use of the old Buick, buckled Emmanuel into his car seat, and headed down the road. There was a vacancy sign at the Bennettsville Motel. They thought they'd made it far enough across the state line to be safe. Josh got a job at the motel doing maintenance. Myra took care of Emmanuel, answering phones at the front desk. After a long while, they got the news from Charlie that the bank president had moved on to New York City. It would be safe to come back home. And Billie Jean's been wanting to see them. It had been so long since they'd been together. The people back home were really on hard times, and they needed a little cheering up. Myra and Josh talked about it. They waved goodbye to the good people of Bennettsville and headed back toward home. They'd make a place for themselves and raise up this boy close enough to home to see family and visit with friends, but far enough away to be safe. They decided to put down roots in Fort Mill. Josh would get his contractor's license, and Myra would work at the church daycare with Emmanuel right beside her. Every Sunday, Myra, Josh, Emmanuel, Billie Jean, and their little boy would play in the pew at Messiah Church, and they'd sing the old spirituals. Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Oh, Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got drowned. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Oh, yeah.